All right. So Philippians chapter 2. So last week, um, we looked at the concept of the mind of Christ and that we kind of developed the mind of Christ by looking at um, a lot of things. And one of the things we looked at was how uh, how do we develop the mind of Christ? And, and it was basically, you know, how's, how does the Holy Spirit work uh, in us? And there were several things that uh, I mentioned, but that uh, uh, he works through uh, uh, prayer, uh, works through uh, the ministry of the word, of course. And then also, well, the commentator I quoted said works through our suffering. But I think we could generate the Holy Spirit certainly works uh, through our circumstances. And the circumstances of life are what give us the context for, you know, I mean, what do we do? Um, our resources, our geography, our uh, history, our uh, family connections, uh, uh, all of that provides the context that we live our life. And uh, these circumstances, um, are, and this passage uh, today, uh, if you just read it, it doesn't sound very like theological, right? And uh, at first glance, I, I, I said, well, okay, we'll, we'll kind of move right along here and then uh, get right on to uh, perhaps what some would call more uh, meaty uh, phrases, but, or, or verses rather. But the more I read these, I thought that you know, it might be worth camping out here a little bit because here we see um, Paul's ministry in his circumstances, in the context of what Paul was going through. And, and ultimately, isn't that what we are all about? I mean, take God's word and put it in our life, in our circumstances. And that's really, you know, I mean, the, you know, this fellowship that we have with, you know, you know kind of leaders and Together, I hope we're mutually uh, teaching each other. Uh, but it's really our job to take anything we learn here, or learn from each other, learn from God's word, and to put it in our circumstance, in our context, and and to do something with it. And that's uh, we, we kind of see Paul kind of setting aside a theological discourse, uh, but I think it's still uh, very useful. So. Um, uh, we'll see these little personal asides, and you know, uh, Paul sometimes does this in the, in the openings of his book, sometimes in the closings, and uh, occasionally uh, in the middle like we're seeing here. But these personal asides that he has are actually the, often the ways that we even know what Paul was up to, who he was with, where he was going. I mean, all this history stuff that we kind of talk about when we open up a new book, that's where a lot of this comes from, is these little passing comments uh, when he's talking about um, kind of his real life and, and his circumstances, and it's kind of how we get to know him. Uh, in this passage, uh, from verses 19 down to verse 30, uh, we're going to meet a couple of uh, people. Uh, Paul is introducing um, uh, some folks, or reintroducing um, uh, a couple guys that the Philippians were probably all, in one case, certainly uh, intimately acquainted with, but had certainly heard of, of uh, Timothy as well. And uh, so we'll, we'll, Paul introduces and, and, and talks about these two guys, and, and so we're going to uh, work there uh, today. So verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus, and Timothy to you soon, 
so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that short I myself will come also. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So I want to look at this passage from a couple different angles. First of all, let's look at the guys. So Timothy. I'll swear uh, quite a bit about Timothy. Uh, he traveled with Paul, and um, we, we know a lot about Timothy uh, from elsewhere. Uh, we know that he was a product, you might say, of a, of a mixed marriage. Uh, his uh, mom was a Jew. His dad was a Greek. Uh, we know from Paul's writings that he was a bit on the shy side, that he was maybe uh, a bit on the young side. Uh, we know that he grew into a pastor. Uh, as Paul refers to him here and, and elsewhere, Paul considered him as a son, a spiritual son uh, to him. He went on to pastor the church at Ephesus, and the very last letter Paul wrote, uh, 2 Timothy, was, was to him. Uh, from this passage, we can gather that Timothy is Paul's right-hand man, uh, somebody that Paul trusted, uh, his apprentice, you might say. Uh, he was an extension of Paul. He was somebody that Paul could trust to, to kind of be what he couldn't be, because of location, and also served as kind of an advanced team. Uh, we have Timothy going before, and, and Paul saying, yeah, and Lord willing, I'm, I'm coming next. Um, so Timothy, very much a highlight. Epaphroditus, we know primarily from this book, um, I guess exclusively from this book. Um, uh, Epaphroditus was, we'll find in chapter 4, you, you recall that the Philippians gathered up a monetary gift to give to uh, Paul for him to use in his ministry and to disperse. Epaphroditus was the guy that the Philippian church gave the money to, to take it to Paul. And in essence, Epaphroditus was also part of the gift because the intention was that he would stay with Paul and kind of minister there and so forth. So... Um, so we know that from chapter 4. Um, we know that from this, what I just read, he had been extremely <clears throat> ill. He almost died. And the Philippians, he had been there long enough, uh, that they had heard about this and had become worried about it. And it had been long enough that news of their worry had also made it back to Paul. So this, this whole thing of him becoming ill and word gets back to to Philippi, wow, Epaphroditus, he's very sick, you know, he's, he may die. And then you can imagine this day and age when, you know, there's a long way between uh, where he was, and now some people say, well, 
maybe he wasn't at Rome, maybe he was at Ephesus, but in any event, it wasn't like, you know, picking up the phone. Uh, so there was this, this angst back and forth, and um, uh, so we know that about, we know perhaps, perhaps one of the reasons he was sick, maybe he encountered some, some stress on the journey, you know, maybe he got beat up with, you know, he had to escape bandits, I don't, I don't know, but it may have been that part of his effort in getting to Paul in the first place was somehow related to why he got sick. We don't really know what happened to him, but we know he was very ill. Um, but, uh, as you know, he's my, my brother, my fellow worker, my soldier, and your messenger. And uh, he is definitely uh, committed to the gospel. And um, we'll see that um, uh, kind of maybe wasn't staying with Paul as long as expected. Uh, and I think some of Paul's statements, in fact, one commentator said, you know, Paul was basically saying, hey, you know, you should look at him as a little, he did it didn't do a good job, you know. I, I'm sending it back for your benefit, not because he wasn't useful to me. So he's kind of giving Epaphroditus a real big send-off, so to speak, so that he would be received at home uh, with honor, not with, you know, like he flubbed the job, so to speak. So here are our two guys. So what do we, what do we find out here? I think there are several ways I want to look at this same passage, Okay. This isn't the kind of fact passage, you know, sometimes we just go and tease out every word. I think this is a passage that you can get the most out of if you just from different angles. So one angle I'd like to look at this with is what say of guys in terms of models that we could emulate. One way I want to look at this is the context of what it says about relationships. I want to look at this in terms of what it says about Paul's leadership and management style. And then finally, I want to look at this as uh, this passage, um, and then we can get emotional about it. So, models to emulate. Um, all right, so audience participation here. What are some character traits you see in this passage that are highlighted by Paul about these two men that would make them good models for us to emulate. All right? So if you were, say, doing the children's story and you want to highlight these two guys and get these children to aspire to be out about them from this passage. Selfless. Selfless? What? No, but you can you can bring it up to the eighth grade level for us. <laughs> A genuine interest. He wasn't, it wasn't fake. He wasn't just going through the motions. Excellent. What else? Strong faith. Strong in their faith. All right. Fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. So what, did, what does that mean to you? Strong, lots of courage. Prepared to fight Satan. Okay. Strong, prepared, engaged in the battle. Good soul. All right. So, um, uh, so gets Paul's endorsement there. So worthy, worthy of praise from the, the essentially the the. 
primary minister of the, uh, of the new church. Compassionate. Compassionate. <coughs> Dedication. Dedication. Was hanging in, these guys were hanging in there. It wasn't easy. You know, for no other reason that they had to hang out with a criminal the whole time. Or an accused criminal. Paul. A servant. A servant heart. Committed. Committed to the cause. Unlike some of these people that were just looking out for themselves. This might be just be a somewhat of a rhetorical question, but uh, well, let me just ask because I'm kind of curious. So, flashback to when you were maybe somewhere between ages six through ten. Did you have a hero? Did you have a hero? And if so, who was it? Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> okay, I, hey, I remember the Captain. Bunny Rabbit. Superman. All right, there we go. The Lone Ranger. My Cinderella. Cinderella. Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple. Who? Bobby Richards. Bobby Richards. Ah, okay. There we go. Sports hero. Charles Lindbergh. There we go. Um, so, who do you think today's heroes are? Right. Yeah, I'm not sure if Pac-Man is qualified. Your sixth grade teacher, Cliff says. You know, it's interesting, right? I mean, heroes uh, back in the day were kind of black and white, you know, as far as good and bad, you know. In the cowboy westerns, you know, the good guy had the white hat. You know, I mean, it was clear who the heroes were. You know, nowadays, our heroes aren't always clear-cut. Um, uh, good luck putting your faith in one, uh, because it's just a matter of time before they'll probably disappoint you. Um, uh, dead people probably make the best heroes, um, because you can kind of give the final grade, right? You know, is, did they stumble or not? Not that we all don't stumble to a degree, but you know what I mean. Uh, so these are these are good guys to to highlight and uh, to look to, and uh, I, I, you know it's probably worth keeping an ear out for. I just think that's kind of interesting as you talk with people. Uh, you know, who would your hero be? It'd be a good uh, conversation starter. So let's look at this again in terms of. Leadership and management. 
Now, there have been people, I haven't read a lot of management books. I probably shot my strong suit. But um, there have been kind of business from a Christian perspective who have uh, pulled out a lot of management from Scripture. If we looked at this passage and look at what Paul says as he's talking about these people, can you pick out any um, management principles or what this would say about Paul as a leader or a manager from this section? I think this is interesting. Okay, so he himself was a servant leader and he's not bragging about himself in this passage. He's highlighting his his charges there, his underling, so to speak. That's great. I love that. What else? Say it again. He, he knew that he had to delegate. That he was limited, that he needed to spread his influence by delegating to these two guys. Excellent. What else? I think he was an encourager by what he said about his his working under him. Okay. Encourager. What else? You know, what James said, lead by example. Okay. So he was trying to be a good model to, to him. I mean, to, to them, rather. Anything else? We don't maybe sometimes think of Paul as CEO, but in essence, Love that. So he's he's validating and authenticating them and authorizing them. You know, guys, they have my blessing. You know, they are my guys. Excellent. Didn't have that one. That's good. What else? Well, I was going to say he was in charge, but you made it sound better than I would. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I, no, I think that's a good point to make, that he, he was in charge. So you kind of feel that he, he feels accountable to what's going on, right? And, and, and he is taking charge of, of this. He's working within his circumstances, right? He's, he's got some limits. He, house arrest. It's not like he can go himself. Um, Probably wasn't, you know, he probably lost his platform to speak in public like he had at one point. I think, I think those are all really good. Uh, I think he definitely, uh, he thought uh, very strategically. If you think about it, he's, he's thinking, okay, right? He wants to address a problem with the Philippians. One of the problems in the church, is this church didn't have a ton of problems, but one issue was there was a lot of anxiety about their Aphroditus. So he was like, okay. Let me think from a timing standpoint. Okay, I know they're really worried. Uh, okay, Epaphroditus, you go first. All right, so there's a, he's thinking about the timing and the sequence of things. He's planning for the future. He's like, okay, I'm going to send Timothy, but I need to kind of wait and see how things turn out with me first. So he's got a legal thing that he's thinking about. Um, you know, I kind of need Timothy here. I'm going to be free to go until I'm released. Uh, all right, so Epaphroditus needs to go first, needs to go now. 
I know it's probably a little sooner than they were expecting, so therefore I need to kind of, you know, highlight my extra endorsement of him so that they really see him in the proper light. Uh, I need to kind of bless him in this way so they know that that he did a good job for me. Uh, I mean, those are that's thinking strategically, right? I mean, that's managing his situation. Um, he's thinking about the future. Uh, he's thinking with a mission focus, how do I accomplish what I need to accomplish here? Um, I gotta tell you, I, none of those things are really my strong suit. Um, I'm more of a reactive kind of person than a active kind of person. Um, uh, I never really appreciated the importance of a good manager until I had a bad one. And then uh, we got a new manager and I'm like, oh, okay. Now I see what was supposed to happen. Um, uh, you know, that was enlightening to me. It really gave me a lot of respect for, you know, management. Um, it is, it's a real thing. I'm, I realize it is a, it's a, it's an important thing. And um, I have a lot of respect for that. And, um, I, and some people aren't great managers, right? You know, um, you know, what's the thing where you talk about somebody is kind of in charge of as much as they can be in charge of? Why do they call it the Peter Principle? I've heard you say that before, but I have no idea why they call it that. You're risen to the light of his incompetence. Yeah. A person who's risen to the level of his incompetence. Okay. Uh, so, you know, some people are better at it than others, right? Um, I, I respect Paul uh, for that, and I think it's good that we kind of get to see that part of him. Right, we get to see that that part of him. We get glimpses of this in other places, right? Um, oh my gosh, um, where Paul says, "You know, I'm going to come. I'm not going to cut whole thing." So respect those that have management potential. And if you're that person, able to think strategically about things, then then those places of service, like Daddy was talking about, get in that game. All right, let's get emotional. Look at this passage and call out for me the words that give you a hint of how perceptive Paul was emotionally. So Paul has recognized, uh, he kind of, there's some feeling there, right? He's, there's some emotion there. Y'all, he risked his life for you. All right? You can sense the feeling there. What else? Longs for you. Um, let's see, what verse is that, Karen? Oh, yeah, 26. He has been longing for your all, you all. And then here's the dressed. So Paul's seen Epaphroditus. He's seen that emotion. And he uh, was a realization that he was speaking to people of Ennis who needed something and he wanted to assure them that what he was espousing uh, was good for them and the people that uh, uh, were aiding him uh, uh, were, were trustworthy. And he wanted to reassure everyone that... So he knew that they were anxious, and he, he wanted to, 
to give them to recognize that anxiety and say, I'm addressing this and I, I, want, I want to make you feel good about what's happening here. Okay? What else? How does Paul get emotional? So there's, a, there's a, some affection there for Timothy as a son. What else? Bruce is one of my favorite biblical scholars. He writes much of the language of there's no one else with this pulse outpouring and endorsement, but we're just gut, gushing. Where Paul's heart is, he recognizes it and calls it out. Well said. I can't improve on that. Look at verse 19. It says, so that I too may be cheered by news. news right? I want to be I could be, stand to be cheered. He talks about genuine concern. He talks about hope. He talks about this longing, that distress. He said if, if Epaphroditus had died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Very emotionally. At the very end, he says, Receive him the Lord with all joy. Verse 12. You know, I hope you rejoice at seeing him again, and then that will make me less anxious. Right? I, then I won't have to worry about you as much. He talks, I mean, that whole chapter practically is about anxiety. It's probably, it's, I won't say probably, it is definitely the scripture passage I use the most in my practice. It's all about anxiety. Um, I, I think, I, I just, I, I think it's very good. I mean, um, I'm in a, I'm in a, um, profession where it's good and cool and and um, my nature is not to be super emotional um, people around me have made me more emotional which I'm grateful for um, I think the important thing is it's good to have emotional balance right it's good to have balance um, sometimes people will come for their visit and they'll say they're dizzy I'll have them describe it and sometimes they'll use terms in terms of balance now the cutest thing and this is, I think, just a, a local thing. They'll come in and they'll say, well, you know, I'll say, well, like if they fell. I'll say, well, how'd you fall? And they'll say, well, I got overbalanced. <laughs> now, is it possible to overbalanced? Right? You heard that, Jim? They'll say, well, I just got overbalanced. <laughs> I, I always kind of laugh at that. I just think it's the cutest thing. But think about it. If you're falling, what do you want to do? You want to grab something, right? Whether it's a cane or a wall or a piece of furniture or another person. You want, you're hoping to grab something that's solid. We live in a world where you can go from calm to hysterical on social media. Uh, a lot of people that we might think of as here at least as popular are not known for their emotional balance. Um, but we need to be that for each other. You know, what gives us emotional and, you might say, spiritual balance? Obviously, scripture, the spiritual disciplines, um, the fellowship that we have, God's word, um, emotionally balanced. Um, I think that's important. Um, by way of application, obviously, we need to think strategically what you're going to do. And I guess the other thing, I'll, and I'll close with this, um, 
you know, you guys have been here. You guys have been faithful. You guys have been, you're in your Bible, you're taking notes, you're reading ahead. So you do with that, right? So our job, right, our ministry, our, what we've been told to do, this whole, remember the whole first cycle? In essence, we're translating what we know to somebody else. Paul knew that these two guys were going to, were going to be able to effectively translate that to somebody else, to encourage them. This takes practice. One quick example. A lot of, I'm in primary care, so a lot of what I do is just kind of prevention type stuff, right? So nowadays you guys have probably all heard something about cholesterol, right? So for the last 15 years, we've been telling everybody about their cholesterol, and we want to get their bad cholesterol down to a certain number. I even know what the number is. What, what's, what do you want your bad cholesterol down to? 100 is the number, right? It's all about getting to the number. American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association for the last years have been saying, it's all about getting your cholesterol down to 100. About a year ago, they said, it doesn't matter anymore what your number is. <laughs> I'm serious from your doctor. Really, that's what they said. It doesn't matter what your number is. It only matters what your risk is. Cholesterol is part of calculating that risk, but it's all about your risk. And you could have a perfectly normal cholesterol and need a cholesterol drug, and you could have a high cholesterol and not need a cholesterol drug. It's just really been crazy. So I had 15 years to get my speech together, right? And I could give that speech in about a minute. Well, now the rules change. And when I first started to try to, I didn't even... I didn't even talk about it, acknowledge it for six months because I said, if they change their mind, people are going to just, <laughs> you know. Um, so I just sat on it. Nobody was changing their mind. They were sticking to the gun. So I had to start teaching this, right? When I first started doing me like 10 minutes to even try to explain and to talk, I was tossing out some details I'd used the last time and refining it. And now I got it down to about five minutes. As we translate these things, here's my challenge, your homework. The next time you hear some spiritual truth, ask yourself, how would I translate the, the person I see? How would I, how would I translate this? How can I put it into my circumstances? How can I help the next person I see apply it to their circumstances? Teaching is for all of us, it's not just for some of us. Alright? So, there's your homework. Final comments, anybody? Alright, let's pray. Father, help us to be really good stewards of what you've given us. Help us to be as faithful as these two men were. To accept what you have for us. To internalize it and to be able to translate it for the furtherance of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.